guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 102 called Lauren. I'm so excited to tell you guys about the sponsor for today's episode, Bios Fertility Institute. Bios is a different fertility clinic experience built on a foundation of patient-centered care, evidence-based medicine, and innovative technology. With clinic locations throughout the country and patients from around the globe, the Bios Fertility Institute team understands the challenges of infertility. Their physicians are board-certified and fellowship-trained reproductive endocrinologists and infertility specialists with a passion for helping patients realize their dreams of parenthood. As a patient, you'll notice the difference from your very first phone call to the team celebration of your positive pregnancy test and everything in between. Bios prides itself on its individualized patient plans that are best suited for your emotional, physical, and financial needs. The organization is committed to their patients and the fertility community in general, and to that end, offers great resources and education on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and other social media channels. Look for Vios Fertility, as well as a patient-centered blog on their website at viosfertility.com. To learn more about Vios Fertility Institute, take advantage of that high-quality, incredible education and fertility information, or to schedule your first appointment, visit viosfertility.com. That's V-I-O-S-F-E-R-T-I-L-I-T-Y.com. Thanks, Vios. Okay, guys. So today's guest is Lauren Kampf, who you might know on Instagram as the Hopeful Campfers with a K. She is a hopeful adoptive mama today, but her story has a lot going on before she got to the point that she and her husband are at today. So we are going to go through it all today, starting with a near fatal pulmonary embolism that happened when she was 19 years old, which was from being on birth control. And then she's going to talk to us about meeting her husband, what happened when they found out he had male factor infertility, and then all of their IUIs, IVF, etc. So it's quite the story. She is an awesome lady, super inspirational. And without further ado, this is Lauren's infertility story. Lauren, hi. Thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> Thank you for having me. We are <laughs> popping your podcast cherry today. This is your first <laughs> podcast. It is. I it love is. it. I'm so happy to have you. And I want you to feel totally comfortable, totally safe space, non-judgment zone. So we're just going to talk about your infertility journey. So let's start at the beginning. Tell me, I know you and your husband, you guys got married in 2015, right? Yes, we did. Okay. So tell me about how you guys met and did you guys always talk about having kids? <laughs> um, so Nick and I met in 2012. We were actually both on match.com. So he's my, uh, my match. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and we both had moved down to San Diego area for work. So neither of us really had, you know, like tons of friends in the area. So we we're kind of in the same like situation with, you know, work and trying to establish like new routines and things went really good in the beginning. Nick and I were off to a great start with dating. Everything was going great. And we knew pretty early on that we were, you know, meant for each other. And I think it was about, 
oh gosh, we got married about two and a half years later Mm -hmm. after we started dating. And so, yeah, kids have always been a discussion. (laughs) I kind of scared him in the beginning because I told him I wanted six kids and, (laughs) you know, I would slowly go down to five and he's like, I'm good with two. (laughs) Yeah. And (laughs) you come from a big family. So it's just me and my brother and sister, but both of our parents come from huge families. So Mm -hmm. we, you know, that was always something that I wanted was that big family. And yeah, so we decided that when we got married, we wanted to start trying immediately. (laughs) We Mm -hmm. thought we were going to have a a honeymoon baby and we weren't even ashamed of it. We were ready to get our family started, but you know, we're still working on that honeymoon baby. So it's been a a long time. Tell, I know a lot has happened in the past five years. So tell me what happened. You went on the honeymoon, hopeful that you were going to you know, it's going to happen then. And what happened from there? So I'm going to fast forward and I'm going to rewind a little. So fast forward to, we still were not having any success with getting pregnant and kind of at that point knew that we wanted to kind of just make sure everything was, you know, okay on both sides. So here I'm going to rewind. When I was 18 years old, I had a pulmonary embolism and it was determined to be caused by birth control. So the doctors had told me like, you know, you're healthy. You're just, your body doesn't respond to birth control well. And I had gotten the pulmonary embolism, which is like a 0.001% chance that you can get that from birth control, but I'm that person. So, wow. Uh, so how did, how did that manifest? Like, how did you figure that out? Were you in the hospital? Did What did they have to do? So I woke up, I was 19 years old at the time oh, God, and scary. I just woke up. Yeah. I woke up one morning and I just felt like I had like a really bad cold and I like couldn't breathe. Every time I tried to take a deep breath, it would like hurt really bad in my chest. And so I was a little bit panicked and I was at home actually with my family. And I told my mom, I said, something doesn't feel right. Like, do you think that I should, you know, go to the emergency room or just to doctors? And I was like, let's just go to the doctors. And so we went to the doctors together. My mom drove me and, um, they immediately like had taken my vitals and rushed me to the ER. And yeah, it was pretty scary. They had told mm-hmm. me that if I had waited like 30 more minutes, I probably wouldn't have even made it to the hospital because oh my, um, my oxygen levels were just dropping like crazy. So that was like something that was a little bit traumatic when I was mm-hmm. younger, but I was in the hospital for, I want to say about two weeks. And in that time they had given me so many different, you know, medications and I had signed so many waivers. And I remember one of the doctors telling me, you know, some of these like medications could cause difficulties with future pregnancies. And, mm. you know, at the time it was just like a life or death thing. So we're like signing away everything. Like, Completely. Yeah, You're like, we'll take me, anything as long as yeah, I make it. Me, yeah. Give me the drugs. Sure. <laughs> um, so, you know, at that time I wasn't planning on having a kid right away. So it wasn't too impactful at the time, but I knew that's always been in the back of my head. Like, I wonder if, you know, something that happened back then had caused our infertility and, you know, so in November it hadn't been a full year yet. And that's usually when doctors are like, you know, wait the full year and then Mm -hmm. come, come and check everything out. And, uh, so we started with an, you know, an appointment at the OBGYN and she ran some tests on both of us. And, at the time, everything looked okay on my end and my husband, his sperm counts were lower. So she had sent us off to a male fertility specialist to get, you know, well, first a urologist and then a male fertility specialist just to get like a further look at my husband. And he has male factor infertility, not really sure what caused it. He had a double hernia 
repair surgery when he was a little kid. And so mm-hmm. they went in as an adult to, you know, try to see if there was any blockages and, you know, everything came back clear. And so, you know, we weren't really sure what had caused my husband to have, you know, such low sperm counts, mm-hmm. bad morphology. It was mm-hmm. just like everything that could be wrong with the sperm <laughs> is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um so we used to tell people and would joke about it. Like his sperm are basically drunk. They swim in circles. They will never swim to my eggs. So we have to, we have to pursue fertility treatments because of that. And so right. um, that's kind of where our journey started. And yeah, we did four IUIs. We did medicated cycles, all of those with a male fertility specialist. And we, we were unsuccessful with all of them. Mm-hmm. So how did that feel? Like, I always <laughs> love to get into the emotional side of this too, oh, the mental man. side. Cause I had a really, really hard time. I was very depressed. So how did it affect you? So the IUIs, like in hindsight, weren't as emotional as I think our IVF journey, but you know, like it was, it would just be like glimmers of hope and then a little bit of heartbreak and more glimmers of hope and a little bit of heartbreak. But our doctor at that time was so positive. He was like one of those doctors that kind of like broke us into the world of fertility because Mm -hmm. he was so blunt and we had to get used to him at first, but then we like super appreciated his bluntness because we're like, just shoot us straight. And we knew he would. And so he, but he was hopeful at the same time. So he would always say like, you know, like, I'm going to tell you again, like, if this doesn't work, you guys are perfect candidates for IVF. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to go the IVF route. I don't think anybody ever says, Hey, I want to go do IVF. So we were like, okay, we'll, we'll do a couple more IUIs. And they were right. just you know, affordable and you know, all of that. So it was just felt like a long process. And, you know, I was, I was actually a lot more frustrated than emotional during the IUI time, because it just seems like you have to wait, you know, and granted the waiting in IUIs was so much less than IVF, but that's where, you know, you've get your your glimpses of having to wait and it sucked. Absolutely. (laughs) So So did you have like, was insurance covering this or like, what was your financial situation? If you Um, don't mind, you don't need to get specific. You don't want to, but no, I totally can share. We had, we switched insurances throughout our journey a couple of times to try to, you know, get coverage. And I think at that time the IUIs were out of pocket. However, like all the tests leading up to it were covered. So the IUIs, I think were about 2,500 each time or about around there. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I don't have the exact. No, that's okay. But my God, that adds up, right? Totally. It's like, oh, um, we could have just bought a car. Oh, there's our mortgage. There's, it's like these big ticket items. Yes. <laughs> so at that time, I don't think the IUIs were covered, but when we switched over to a new doctor and went through IVF, we had just switched insurance as well. And so we got $25,000 max that you could get from Mm -hmm. the insurance at the time. And, you know, that goes so fast too. So Mm -hmm. we've been mostly out of pocket for a lot of things in our journey. Yeah. So So at what uh, point did you switch from IUIs to IVF? So after our fourth IUI, our doctor kind of gave us a little gentle push and he's like, you know, I don't want you guys to, you know, continue to do something that's not going to get you guys to your family, but I'm so hopeful for you. And he's like, if you need references for different doctors around here, you know, let me know. And we wanted to do the research on our own and we did, and we were fine with moving on to IVF. And we felt at that point, we actually did get excited um, Mm -hmm. because this doctor had kind of pumped us up and like, you guys are going to do great. Like, 
IVF is your route. Like, I don't have any doubts in my mind. Yeah. Perfect candidate. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. It doesn't get any better than that. And it's funny because you and Blair just posted, you know, your fertility confessions Mm -hmm. uh, recently. And that was actually one of mine is that, you know, I have like a deep down anger for the doctors that told us that we were perfect candidates for things all along because they were wrong. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I wish doctors didn't do that, but you know, at the time we probably needed a little bit of, of hope, you know, to right. keep pushing through. And also they so. don't know for sure. Right. I mean, they're human right. too. So on Absolutely. paper, you could have looked like a perfect candidate, but I get it. I totally get what you're saying. Absolutely. So we met with a couple different doctors and wanted to find like a good fit for us. And we did find a good fit and, or what we thought was a good fit. And she, she was hopeful too. So we started our first IVF cycle and I, I respond really well to medications, which was something that, you know, throughout the whole journey was like a plus side for us. However, you know, like I would go through, you know, stims and I'd be stimulating a bunch of eggs and the doctor would always say like, Oh, this looks so great. You know? But then when it came time for retrieval, we would be like average. We'd get between, I think the lowest we got was five eggs and the highest was 12. And we went through five egg retrievals. So Mm -hmm. they range in between those, but yeah, our first cycle, we did a genetic testing. Our doctor had kind of suggested that that was the best route to go to you know, minimize the chances of miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And we had one embryo from our first retrieval that was genetically normal. It was a little girl. And that was kind of crushing. You know, you go from like hearing you're responding so well to the medications and they got, I think they got nine eggs the first time and you have like higher hopes, you know, you think like, Oh Mm -hmm. my gosh, like, you know, one of our babies is in there. Then it just goes down to one. And right. And you hear people say it only takes one. Well, it doesn't. I know. That's so frustrating too. Yeah. So our doctor had kind of told us that we should do embryo banking and just try to get as many embryos as we can, you know, while we're young. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so we went forth with another IVF cycle before we did a transfer. Mm -hmm. And that one was actually a crushing round for us because we, had sent off four embryos to genetic testing and all four came back negative. So we were literally left with nothing on our second egg retrieval. That's so Um, tough. It was so hard. And you know, like I, I don't think that friends and family fully understand like how much goes into, you know, getting to that point. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of waiting. It's a lot of shots. It's a lot of medications. It's a lot of emotions and to be left with nothing at the end is crushing not only to your your heart but it's also like you it, it feels like a waste of money like you Completely. just put all this money out on the table and yeah. you're left with nothing at the end you're back to square one absolutely um, so at this point i know you're very active in you know instagram community and you've, you guys have your yeah. website were you involved in it at that point and were you finding people that you could connect with yes okay. so i i think i actually started our instagram right at the beginning of our IVF journey. So I didn't really have like IUI was just hopeful that it was going to work. And 
you know, I'd heard about people having these TTC pages and, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I finally was like, well, I'm going to just try it out for IVF and start sharing our journey and, you know, meeting people in the community. And that was the biggest blessing. And I tell people all the time when I have like real life friends or family that are going through it, like get an Instagram going, like get mm-hmm. something to put yourself in the community because, that community has saved me time and time again mm-hmm. when our friends and family have not understood or known how to support us the best way that they could. Yeah, so, completely. Um, yeah, I have like the highest things to say about our community. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, at that point, it was that's probably the first time that I had people reach out that had told me that they had been in similar situations because I think your first round of IVF, you're kind of just like trying to get to know like what's okay to post, what other people are posting. You make your first cycle buddies and Mm -hmm. you know, it's just different. But after our second round of IVF, I mean, we were kind of just like, okay, we're probably in this for the long haul. And our doctor had told us like, let's push forward and just transfer the one embryo that you have. And so we did our first transfer and the embryo was a 4BB little girl and it was a failed transfer. We didn't have a beta at all. Mm. So then How did that again, feel to get those results? Then again, it's... it was another crushing, like that was so hard to take. It's such a roller coaster because you go through like your cycle and I had always thought, oh my God, I'm going to be a boy mom. <laughs> like I just like had this feeling that boys were in our future. I'm kind of, you know, tomboy at heart. And so when we when we didn't have any boys and it was a little girl, I was a little bit sad, but then I like, you get yourself excited and you're like, Oh my gosh, it's gonna be a little girl. And so you start looking at girl clothes and mm-hmm. you know, like I bought stuff for Nick and just like cute things that we wanted to have that would give us hope when we saw them. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, when you hear that, you know, I'm so sorry, it's like the nurses call you and you know that it's like bad news because it doesn't ever start off good. But yeah, that was, that was really hard for both of us. And at that point, we were like, well, maybe we should take a break. And so um, we had talked about taking a break, but then I don't know, we just both realized how much like waiting happens during the process. And we decided, well, let's just do one more. Mm-hmm. And so we did another retrieval with the same doctor. And before we did this retrieval, I actually asked her to do some testing on me like, hey, can you do an ERA? Like, mm-hmm. I'd be really curious if you know, we just need an extra day of progesterone or one less day. Like, and she's like, no, no, no. Like you guys fall in the, in the normal category. Like you guys are fine. It's not going to help any. Mm -hmm. And I was a little bit frustrated at that because I just like had heard, you know, through word of, of Instagram posts about so many people that that was like what helped them. Mm -hmm. Um, So did you feel kind of brushed aside by your doctor? I did. Totally felt brushed aside. And so that was like our first, like little bit of a red flag with that doctor. And, Mm -hmm. um, we did the retrieval anyways. That one was fully out of pocket. We had already reached our 25,000 in coverage in the first cycle and a quarter, I guess. So we did that retrieval and we had two embryos that came back normal. They're both boys. So we're ecstatic. And um, <laughs> yeah, we wanted to transfer them together and our doctor agreed they weren't the best quality, but she said sometimes, you know, embryos, when you transfer them together, they like can, you know, help each other out in a mm-hmm. way, I guess. Okay. Um, and so we transferred the two boys and I had a super low beta. So we just kind of think that like, you know, those little boys tried to fight and stick around a little and, you know, for some reason they weren't, they weren't able to stick. And oh I'm so sorry, Lauren. Uh, <laughs> that was a hard one. Um, yeah. Yeah. So before that transfer, Nick and I had talked about, you know, 
I had a big car at the time. Anyways, I had to traverse the first model of it. And Nick's like, let's go get a new car. We need a new safe car if we're going to be twin parents. And so we had bought a car right before. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was exciting. It was like, you do these things to like, keep your hope going for yeah that it's gonna work it's gonna work you have there's the whole the concept of like faith purchases which i love you (laughs) know it's big faith that's a big one that is a big one lauren that's not like a t-shirt at target that's a car (laughs) no (laughs) i mean i get it we go camping all the time and so we've always had like a big car because we need the space so it wasn't like like we would need a big car regardless right Um, but it was the faith purchase of like well you know, we get the bucket seats because if we have two car seats, it'll be the easiest to like help with the, you know, totally you just think everything through and you try to like be as excited about it as you can. And so that yes. one was, that one was hard for both of us. And it kind of left us questioning a lot of things because, you know, we had gone through three egg retrievals already and two transfers, but three embryos. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that one of our retrievals didn't yield any embryos was, in the back of our minds too. Cause it's just like, at one point do you say like, Hey, like it's not getting better. But after that happened, we decided that we were going to take a break and we did, we took about a six month break. And then we decided that we wanted to look into different doctors. And so we did a little research. I had found a doctor that I had heard great things about and my husband's coworker had also gone through this doctor and she had great things to say about him. And so we scheduled an appointment with him and kind of just reviewed our history with him. And he was another blunt doctor. And I, you know, I appreciate blunt doctors. I just, mm-hmm. I've learned to appreciate it. And I know that's something that people knock in the community when they're just starting out. They're like, oh, the doctor was so mean. And you're just like, well, like they're not all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> like just, yeah, just but also- keep that in mind after going through as much as you've been through, it's like, I don't have time for this bullshit. Like just let's cut, you know, cut to the chase. So tell me what's going to work or what's not going to work or what I need to do next. Like I remember that feeling too. Absolutely. So this doctor right off the bat kind of gave us some homework and he's like, you know, I want, you know, X, Y, and Z. I need these labs redone. And, and I told him like that our previous doctor wouldn't run any biopsies on me. And I was curious if he would. And he's like, absolutely. Like, let's, you know, do a retrieval. Let's see how you respond to medications. And then let's do the biopsies in between. Because basically the biopsies that you have done, you're basically going through like a transfer cycle. So that that was the plan. And our fourth retrieval went well. That was the cycle that yielded our last embryo Mm -hmm. and it was a perfect embryo. She was six, no, five AA or six AA. Now I'm, now I'm questioning it. She was perfect. They're Um, all different. It depends on your clinic, right? There's a lot of different rating systems. So it could have been either. Yeah. She was a perfect embryo in their eyes. And so Mm -hmm. she was frozen and we were like, okay, like let's do these biopsies. And we did do the biopsies and he did an, an ERA, which did come back normal. So I did fall within the normal range that the doctor previously told us. He also checked for endometritis. I always say that one weird because it looks like endometriosis, but it's mm-hmm. basically the infection one where okay. there's inflammation. Uh-huh. Um, that came back negative. And then he did the BCL6 marker, which is the marker for endometriosis. And ding, ding, ding. After four rounds of IVF, I was told, hey, you have endometriosis. Mm. <laughs> Which was the biggest shock because I I just like, I think of all the times that like 
I knew something was wrong with our cycles. Like, Mm -hmm. why isn't this working? Something must be wrong with my body. And it was just like the answer that we needed to be able to push forward. And so we had felt like at that point, like, okay, we have the answer that we need now. Like now what's next? Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, with this, I think we should do another retrieval just to be safe so that we do have some backup before we put you into this chemically induced menopause. And so we did a fifth cycle. And that was the one where Nick and I had kind of talked about before. We're like, this will be our last one. Just financially, we can't keep doing this to ourselves. And I was just angry in that fifth cycle. I mean, I was just like annoyed with shots. I was like annoyed with like, I knew what was going to (laughs) come. I was Mm -hmm. just angry. I was an angry person. I was seeing so many of our fertility sisters get pregnant. And that was like Mm -hmm. so hard because it was like, well, here's, you know, my cycle one buddy and she's pregnant again, which I'm so happy for her, but here I am still trying to get, you know, just our first one. And totally, um, I was just an angry person, you know, hormones do that to you. And Mm -hmm. so, so we did our fifth retrieval and again, all the embryos that we sent to genetic testing came back abnormal. So we were done. We were like, that's it. Like we have this one embryo left. We're going to, you know, she's going to, she's going to work. She's perfect. Our doctor decided that he would put me on Lupron Depot. I had kind of asked because there's still so much like contradictory information about Lupron Depot versus like going in and doing an excision surgery and like just Mm -hmm. getting rid of everything. But he was very confident in doing the Lupron Depot. And so we really, and we still trust him as a doctor, but it, it, it is something that, you know, I still kind of wonder like what would have happened if they would have, you know, gone in and cleaned everything out, but right. I got put on Lupron Depot. I got put on metformin, which is actually used for people who have, who are diabetic yep. and I'm not diabetic. You're the he second had, person who's told me that, that this week that they were put on that. And they're like, it was oh for diabetes. God. Like it's yeah. very confusing, but he mm-hmm. also told us that it would help with insulin resistance. And he's like, you know, it, it's just something that I'm going to put you on. It can't hurt. So let's do it. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And he also had us do intralipid infusions. He put me on a thyroid medication because again, I didn't have any thyroid problems, but he wanted my levels to be absolutely perfect. And so, yeah, I mean, we were just doing everything. We're like, fine with it. We're like, you know, get my body as ready as it can be because this is our last shot. Right. So yeah, that was about like three, four months of just getting me ready for the transfer. And Mm -hmm. then we had our transfer in February. So it was like a year over a year later that we, you know, from when that embryo was created that we were able to transfer her. So it's a long time period. And it was actually nine months to the, I remember checking it and being like, Oh my God, it's so symbolic of like a pregnancy, you know, nine months. And so That's we transferred Riley in and we named her. So I keep saying Riley. I'm sorry. Um, no, please do not <laughs> I apologize. I didn't, I didn't explain that, but we did pick a name and we, you know, we were just, that was, that it. was going to be our forever babe. We were so ready. I get and, it. And yeah, I had our transfer in February and everything went perfect. The doctor told us that it was the best transfer that he's had in a very long time. And my mom got to come. It was just like so nice to have like my mm-hmm. mom and Nick there. Right. Um, so everything's pointing in the direction that this is going to work. Yep. Yep. We yeah. were we were so excited. And it was just like a very, it was the perfect transfer. I mean, I've like watched our transfer video multiple times and mm-hmm. it still makes me happy. Like, yeah, there's like things that make me sad in it that she's not here, but you know, it, 
it still brings me joy to watch it. And yeah, so we got our, got our beta back eight days later and it was super low beta again. And our doctor was just stunned. I mean, I think he said, sorry, like more times on the phone than I would have expected from a doctor. (laughs) But Mm. yeah, I mean, I got off that call and that was the start of a very dark time in my life. (laughs) Yeah. So devastating. um, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the part that's like, we were so hopeful. We didn't even think that, that it not working was even an option, even though we had gone through everything else, it just didn't, you know, everything was just leading in the direction that it was going to work. And we were seeing all these weird signs in nature and, you know, like you just take everything and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is a sign from God. It's going to work or who knows, but yeah, it was, it was really, really difficult to hear mm-hmm. that news for both so of us. What did the dark period look like for you? What did that mean? The dark period was, I mean, the country, the world is in a pandemic, so that doesn't help, right? No, I mean, it, it actually wasn't yet. So we had like, you know, kind of had heard about it, but mm-hmm. I feel like it, cause it was February 19th that we transferred her and we got the news on February 27th. So yeah, I mean, it hadn't fully gone into like lockdown or anything yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but prior to transferring her, I actually had reached out to a therapist just to kind of like talk things through because I was, you know, during my fifth cycle was so angry and I just wanted to like let go of some of those feelings. So yeah, the depression happened. <laughs> I reached out to a therapist, you know, probably or I reached out to the therapist that I had been talking to a couple of days after it happened because I literally just like couldn't function. I know it sounds like I, I'm promise I'm not trying to be like dramatic at all, mm-hmm. but it's just like I couldn't get out of bed. I it don't think like that's everything, dramatic. Everything inside my body just felt broken. Mm-hmm. It's even hard to talk about it with you right now because it just takes me back to like how I was feeling. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. I don't want to drudge no, up all this, mem- all these memories. Don't but be sorry. Just I think of the people are- you're helping by, I know. you know. Because when you say you couldn't get out of bed, there's somebody listening that's like, thank you. I'm not alone. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I, I it was literally just, it would hurt and I couldn't stop crying. I would literally just like want to lay in bed. I couldn't go back to work. My therapist had kind of, you know, suggested that I reach back out to the doctor and kind of just check in and see what his like thoughts were about everything of like what I should do moving forward. Because it, you know, even after those like couple days initially, it turned into like, Oh boy. I think I ended up taking like three weeks off work after I was just too emotional. I couldn't, I couldn't have conversations without crying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it was hard and everyone knew that we had transferred. So you had to like, then tell people that it didn't work and you get a lot of like, I'm so sorry. And you know, it's like people, what do you say to someone like that? And it's like, every time you'd have to see someone, even if they just give you a look of like, like half smile or, you know, like that look people give you when they're like, oh, I don't know what to say, but it's like, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like that look would crush me too. And so right. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't leave the house. I ended up just like locking myself in the house. And our doctor had told me that he would prescribe me. I think he sent five Xanax pills mm-hmm. and I'd never ever taken Xanax. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, okay, like what is the purpose of this? But it was to help with the anxiety and the triggers that were causing me to be so emotional. And so I still actually have a couple of them because I didn't use them all. Yeah. But 
they definitely helped. It takes the edge off. <laughs> cut the edge, exactly. And yeah. he prescribed these the tiniest dose. I think it's like 0. 0.0 or 0. 0.5 milligrams. And then he's like, take half of one. Yeah. Um, so it was really not much, but right. it was enough to like help me get through a couple days at work and try to get back on a routine. And so that was about three and a half weeks after our transfer. And yeah. in that time, I was seeing my therapist twice a week and just talking things through and talking about our emotions. And that's something that I, I can't stress enough. I know we talk about it, about how important mental health is, but if someone is listening right now and does not have a therapist, I like highly, highly suggest getting one just to talk those things through with someone, right. and validate, validate your feelings and, yeah. and you know, also and like work on them. Um, there's so many with zoom and stuff. Now there's places like better help where you can go and do online therapy. You know, it doesn't have to be the hundreds of dollars in the therapist's office. Like there's a lot of different price points and options too, thankfully. So I hope that yeah. nobody, you know, somebody doesn't forgo that. Cause they're like, I can't afford that. Cause therapy traditionally is obviously so expensive, but yes, yes, it is. Yeah. So that, yeah, I mean, I, that therapy is what got me through so much. I mm-hmm. mean, Nick and I are both so appreciative of my therapist. I mean, he was able to go in and meet with her too, with me and we did it together. And yeah, it it was just a really good experience having someone from a total outside perspective, just, you know, validate right. all of our feelings and I actually still see the same therapist. So yeah, um, that's great. I now see her every other week. <laughs> it's yeah. not a twice a week thing. Right. Um, but in that time I had gotten diagnosed with a uh, situational anxiety and situational depression. Um, so that was kind of hard to take in. Like I consider myself a strong person. I, you know, don't really think that there's things that I won't get through, but in that time, I mean, I just didn't know how to get out of it. And so it took a lot of therapy and a lot of just, you know, Nick and I spending time together and spending time with our family. Mm -hmm. Um, and also at the same time, like shutting some people out and that's not something that I'm proud of at all, but you know, you have to do what, what is going to protect your heart. And at the time, sometimes it means you can't be around certain people or you need to just Mm -hmm. take breaks from some people. And definitely, definitely. That's a really good point. You have to take care of you. You have to do you. (sighs) Absolutely. Yes. And uh, And you guys have doggies, right? We have two dogs and they have literally gotten us through every single transfer and every single heartbreak. And they're just there are babies. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's another really good coping. I know a lot of people in fertility rally and just in general in this community have pets and, you know, they're always like on the zoom calls and snuggling. And <laughs> I mean, there's something to be said for that. It's like pet therapy. It's real. You know, now you are a hopeful adoptive mama. So tell me about yes. going from, you know, that devastating loss and losses to where you guys are now. Yeah. Where to start? Well, we had talked about adoption like early on in our marriage. It's something that, you know, both of us were open to. And by the time we had like our second IVF had resulted in zero embryos, it it brought up a lot of conversations. And that was Mm -hmm. another one that we had started touching base on. And so we had decided that like, you know, adoption was going to be something that was in our future. We just at that point had decided that we wanted to try all means to have a biological baby. And so adoption the talk of adoption wasn't like anything that was like taboo or anything. So during therapy and like trying to figure out like what our next steps would be, there was a lot of conversations and, you know, Nick and I had kind of looked into embryo adoption a little thinking that maybe if we 
you know, could go that route. I could at least experience pregnancy. You know, there was just a lot of, it was just different. I guess you kind of have to pick like a a path, you know, like in which path were we going to, going to go forth with. And so we, we were really considering embryo adoption. And during that considering process, I made an appointment with a endometriosis specialist that I had heard wonderful things about. He has people that come and see him all over the United States. And so I was like super stoked on that. And we made that appointment in June. And when I went in and the, the cruddy part is it was during, you know, the time, and I still think it's like this, you can't really have anyone else in, in the doctor's appointment. So it was me in there by myself mm-hmm. and Nick was out in the car waiting and we kind of just needed some guidance on like, what, you know, what can we do next? And he basically just laid it out and said, after he had reviewed everything and did ultrasounds and kind of had checked everything he could possibly check. He's like, look, like, I want to just be honest with you and I don't want to waste your time. Like you guys, he's like, I suggest that you guys choose to grow your family in a different way. Um, your body is not going to be able to carry a baby basically. And so that was like our final, that was hard to hear one. Cause mm-hmm. I was like by myself and two, it was just like kind of the, the final, I don't know what you want to call it. I mean, like we were praying for an answer on like, give us some guidance here. Like we don't know really where to go next. And so it felt like it was an answered prayer, but it was like kind of closing a door on one journey. Um, Absolutely. I get that. And so, yeah, I mean, anybody that's had to hear that, my heart goes out to you because that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever heard in my life was just like, Hey, you're not going to be able to carry a baby. Like I had dreams of being pregnant. I still think about it. You know, I think about breastfeeding and I think about things that like, my right. sister-in-law is pregnant right now. And so I like, will ask her questions. Like, what does it feel like with this? Or, right. you know, just things that like, I know that I'll never fully get to experience myself, Yeah, but I am very thankful for that doctor. And again, his raw honesty, because it guided us in the right direction. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we kind of sprung into the adoption r- realm at that point. We had, you know, both of us were already in the mindset of adoption. This just kind of pointed us, you know, more fast tracked. Yeah. Yeah. Domestic infant adoption. And so we found a consultant who we love. Her name's Rebecca. She's with RG Adoption Consulting and it's Mm -hmm. a smaller adoption consulting group, but we really connected with her. She went through her own fertility journey. And so when we got to talk with her, just everything felt so right. And so we've been working towards like our home study, getting approved for the last few months and kind of just, you know, saving money and getting excited and it's Does been it, good so far. Do you guys have to um, put together one of those books, like telling all about yourself? I know you've, there's so much paperwork, there's so much involved. <laughs> Yeah. In the adoption. So how has that been for you guys? Yeah. So the paperwork is crazy. We really did have to close the door on fertility and just know that we're starting a fully new journey. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that we were able to do that. And that was some advice that was given to us by Rebecca. And it literally has just helped us because each step that we've gone through, we're just like, oh my gosh, like, how does it feel right to fill out, fill out a hundred, you know, forms of paper? Right about yourself and your history and your relationships with your family. It's just completely different than a fertility journey. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, we're going to do everything that we have to do. It's just like a, a checklist of things that you have to do. And I'm good with checklists. So yeah, <laughs> give me the list and I will, you know, start checking things off. Right. Um, exactly. So it's been, it's, it's different. It's uh-huh. completely different. 
in that time I had to change our, you know, I changed our name on Instagram because I wanted it to be more reflective of a completely different journey. So what was it Even, before? And you can tell everybody what it, it was is now. The and... hope, it was the hopeful and fertile. And that was, I, you know, it just, it, it is what it is. But now it's, right. we're the, the hopeful campers. Um, Which I love. Our last name is Camp. And so we go camping all the time. And, you know, it just seemed like something that would be fun. Yes. Um, so we changed it over. And yeah, it was between the hopeful campers and the happy campers. And <laughs> um, so we, we kept the hopeful. Um, I like that. That's really great. And you guys, you know, just looking through your Instagram is you guys, there's obviously so much love there and, you know, so much hope. And I think that you really do inspire a lot of people in this community by sharing what you do and, you know, by just supporting, you're so supportive of everybody else as well. Yeah. Again, I I will stress it. Like this community has given so much to me just Mm -hmm. from the support. And so I always want to be that person for someone else. Um, Yeah. And if it's by being as raw as I can be, then I will do that. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Lauren, you are such a great human. Thank you so much for popping your podcast cherry with me today and for sharing your story. And we are cheering you guys on as your journey continues. So guys, if you're looking for extra support, make sure you check out Fertility Rally, which is Fertility Rally on Instagram. And we have a big live event coming up on April 17th, which is going to be our all day celebration of the infertility community with incredible speakers and breakout sessions. And of course, a happy hour and tons of giveaways. So mark your calendars down for that. And I also wanted to let you know that if you guys are interested in belly, They have amazing vitamins for men and for women. So go to bellybaby.com and use code ALLY15, A-L-I-1-5, for 15% off your first month. So thanks for listening. I will talk to you guys next time.